Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be together. What did you guys do with your extra hour you got yesterday? Uh, watched football? Uh, I, yeah. um, we're, we're in this series. It was a great game. It was a great, great game. Uh, more than one. Uh, I know, I hear y'all. We're talking about a different kind of good, okay? Um, we've been talking about, if you're, if you're kind of new, uh, kind of walking into where we are, we, we spent this last season of our church talking about our reach. And um, a lot of things you're hearing uh, in a lot of our efforts are coming from this, uh, what we are learning, what we believe that uh, we are being um, asked, what's being asked of us as a church. Um, you know, one, because that's what we believe God is asking us to do, but it's also to look around and say, what is happening in the world and how can we respond to it uh, in ways that are helpful and redemptive? And you're going to hear more about this over the next couple of weeks. But um, this idea of reach, you know, a lot of times when people think about churches, especially bigger churches, it's like, oh, reach is their strategy to get bigger. That's not what this is. Reach, we believe, is sort of the measure of our heart. It determines or uh, it's based upon what we are willing to care about, what we're willing to extend ourselves towards. And we, we believe that um, who we are is the source of our reach. It's not our strategies, it's not our programs, it's who we are as a church, what people interact with when they encounter us, when they see us. And this has implications on who we are. How you are is how we are. And we've been sort of direct about that. And we've talked about these three ideas, that there's a sense of connection that people need to experience when they encounter us, when they show up, when they meet us, whatever, wherever it might be, that there's a sense of connectivity, that there's something they can grab onto, something that makes them or causes them to say, I think I could trust them. Uh, we also talked about care, um, to live safely in the care of a community, to come in and for us to become this idea. And the radical idea in this is that it is in belonging that you get to become who you are. It's not, not the, the, the goal is not for you to go figure yourself out, become the kind of person who can belong to our church and then show up and belong. It's to belong to the church and in that belonging, you have the opportunity um, to become. That's how we're, we're positioning ourselves. And then thirdly, is this idea of goodness. We've been asking about what is good. So I wanna think about this tension that I wanna to mention today as we continue um, kind of talking about this. And obviously when you think about, you know, the opposite of good, everybody knows what the opposite of good is, right? It's bad. And because none of us are bad, um, we gotta have a better way to think about this because otherwise you're just gonna exclude yourself. You're gonna say, well, I'm already good because if the only two choices of good or bad, you're not gonna pick bad. So I want us to talk about good. And then on the other side, this idea of longing. Didn't see that coming, did you? Longing for or towards this idea or this call to be good. And so the question is, what do you do with that longing? Like, what do you do with that, that drive? Everybody, everybody believes 
that being good is good and doing good is good. And most people would even like to be good and to be better than they currently are in their already good state because we would never acknowledge that we're bad again, right? But the question isn't whether or not you believe that being good is a good thing or whether you think you should do good things. The question is, what is the source of that goodness? I mean, people all the time who tell me like they're, they don't believe in God, they don't believe this, they don't believe that. And they're like, but I wanna do good things. I'm like, why? And they're like, well, what do you mean, why? I'm like, why would, you, why would you want to care about what's happening if there wasn't something, like what, there's gotta be something driving that. And if we're just sort of self-centered and self-interested and self-absorbed or whatever the word you might use, why would we bother to try and do good things? One of the things that we, we believe and we mean is that this, is, this, this idea of good that we're talking about is, is foundationally, um, positioned in God's image, that we are called to be good simply because we are made in the image of God and God himself is good. We're talking about that kind of goodness. And it has a source. And what we say is, this, this is our definition, that goodness is the fruit that comes when God's love overflows in our lives. Your goodness is going to result from the overflow of God's love in you. It is God's love that is the source of the goodness that we long for. That's what I'm asking you to believe. Do you think that? Does that make sense to you? Do you disagree with it? In the gospel, we are reconciled to the Father. That's, that's the picture throughout the scriptures. And we learn to live safely within his care, his care of us. And it is that place from which we begin to care for one another and share our lives with each other. There's something about what is available to us as we are together. I, we're, we're, part of what we're trying to do is to, to shift the way we think about coming to church. I think it's very important that we are here together. It's not important that you're here so you can hear me talk. That would be nice, but that's, that has nothing to do with this. It's important for us to be here because there's something that's available to us in that that we have to sort of begin to understand and mine and find. And so I was thinking about this because this, this, this story, maybe this will help. There's a guy in our church, a young man, uh, is actually not, uh, he's younger than if he was, uh, if, if you were 100, he's younger than that. Uh, he'll be here at the 11 o'clock. His name is Leonard. Uh, Leonard is from Sweden. He has been uh, in the church since we were met in a house over 23 years ago. Uh, Leonard has volunteered making coffee and he has served at the doors welcoming people. He's welcomed thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people over the last 23 years. And you would probably recognize Leonard if you've ever been to the service where he's at because he always wears, he has a Port City uniform. He is from Sweden. He has legit clogs, real clogs from uh, Sweden. And he wears this kind of wool vest. He's an older guy. I don't know how old he is. I've known Leonard for over 30 years. And so Leonard welcomes people every day. And now he's at the five and he's just, he's so faithful. And so he's just here. And if you're not sure, so the five o'clock service is much smaller than our morning services. It's a little quieter, a little more casual. I'm better at the five because I've already hacked out all the, the, the problems from the nine and the 11, right? I've already done all that. So the five, so it's a little bit quieter of a service. It's, it's very, um, it's, it's much smaller. So it's a little bit more casual. And so Leonard volunteers at the five 
And about, uh, I don't know, a little over a month ago, uh, his mom passed away. His mom was in her 90s and she uh, passed away. She lived in Sweden. He had been over to see her, but it was not able to be there um, at the end. And so it's been really hard on Leonard. And Leonard um, decided a couple weeks ago, because Sundays are hard for him because he had a routine. He would get up in the morning, he would call his mom, and then he would come and he would serve at the church at the five. He began his day with a conversation with his mom. He ended his day welcoming people into um, our kind of space, our gatherings here at the church. And now Sundays remind him that that's not available to him anymore. Every Sunday morning, he thinks about calling his mom and she's not there. And grief is very real. You know this. And Leonard decided that he's going to start coming on Sunday mornings uh, at the time when he would normally call his mom. He's going to come and volunteer because he wants to be around the people that he feels like care about him and love him. It's a way for him to continue to find healing in who we are. So Leonard makes this decision a couple weeks ago. He starts coming and showing up and volunteering. And last week or two weeks ago, another lady approached him who always also comes to the five. She doesn't like to come to the mornings. Witness that doesn't like to. Hasn't been in the mornings, but was very intimidated because it's big and busy and crowded and all that. So she's just a little bit uncertain about coming in and she walks in and Leonard is hard to miss. Now Leonard has just moved back to the morning services two weeks ago. She had to come to the morning service. So she shows up very nervous and she sees Leonard and she says, oh my gosh, I was so nervous about being here in the morning, but I saw you, recognized you. And now I sort of, this is gonna all be okay. And what Leonard's recording, you know, telling us this story and he's, he's you know, in tears as he's telling about it. And he says, no matter where you are, in your own life, you always matter to someone else. Like there's something about being together. KJ Ramsey, I quoted her a couple weeks ago. She's written this in her book, The Lord is My Courage. She says, we are all containers of God's care. We are cups that continually be filled with Christ's courage. So when we, when we, when we're filled, we will spill. When we are filled, we will spill. Even our sorrow will stream into compassion. Even our sadness will become a container from which others can drink care. It's a different way to think about how we are when we're together. When we are bumped, I love this, when we are bumped, it will be love that flows down the edges of our cups. Gentleness will leave a residue of resilience on everything that we touch. There's something that is available to us as we gather, as we show up here and then in every circumstance and place that we are. So we think about this idea of good. We think about this idea of this longing to be. We love the stories like that because it, it does something in us and for us. And what you'll begin to see is this tension that is pulled in us because when we want things that we cannot have, that tends to be the thing that sort of derails us or causes us to devolve in all sorts of other things. The Bible sets this tension up as a tension between the flesh and the spirit. Maybe y'all have heard this before. This seems to be the tension that is felt um, in our, uh, sort of in our day-to-day lives. And so I wanna talk about what this looks like and then what this means in terms of our own goodness to be the kind of people through whom this life just sort of falls out of us. Because a lot of us, right, our solution is to try and to just be good. If we wanna be good, we'll just force ourselves to be good. And the, the phrase that I wanna to introduce to you is this idea of forced good. And, and forced goodness is the idea that we take and we make rules and policies and laws 
to manage people's behaviors in order that they'll do what? Be good. I mean, have you ever been like, you work somewhere and there's one person who does something over and over again and they do it and everybody, it drives everybody crazy and everybody knows who it is and you walk into your office and it says, there's a big sign that says something like, don't leave your lunches in the refrigerator, the management, it's just sign the management. And it's basically, it's a policy to go, there's one person who won't do what everybody else is asking them to do. So you just make a law, a rule, a policy about it. And you sign up this anonymous thing called the management. And what you're doing is you're, you're, you're removing this relational idea of how behavior is to be governed. It's why the number one rule of our political system is don't do anything that you can ever be blamed for. Because it's, it's, it's always devoid of responsibility, of relational, what's required of us, of trust, of all the things that, that matter to us. It's the sense of longing that causes us to devolve. The idea of our flesh is what we do when we are left to our own devices apart from any infusion of God's life into us. The flesh is not the bad part of you, right? That's like always trying to like lust and do all this. The flesh is the part of you that just is content to live without God's rule or his, you know, uh, his, his lordship in our lives. I'm gonna go and put this in there because these two ideas were important. We looked at this last week. There's a rule when it comes to how we govern our lives and there's a will under which uh, our lives are governed. Can that, does that say rule? Rule, R-U-L-E. So I love the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases. This is all from Galatians 5. He, he paraphrases, he says, this is what happens. This is the, the uh, the way we devolve when we stop living or honoring a goodness that is sustainable and a goodness that is secure, and I would add a goodness that is eternal. Here's what he says. It is obvious, and I just want you to, we're gonna just walk, if you're doing your, we're gonna like do this as like a quiet time together. We're gonna just like, oh man, I'm just gonna do my quiet time. And I just want you to listen to this list and see if you can relate in any way. And, and you can certainly think about your friends who need to hear this. You know, I know Jim, maybe so good if Jim heard this, but I want you to think about you hearing this, me hearing this. It is obvious the kind of life that develops out of trying to get our own way all the time, this, this longing to always sort of pursue. And here's the list, repetitive, Loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs at happiness. Trinket gods, magic show religion. Magic show religion. You show up to see if God will do something, right? Just say a word, say a prayer, make a promise, boom, and God will do it. Paranoid loneliness. You're always worried that someone else is having more fun than you or doing something without you, right? That's paranoid loneliness. Remember this from like middle school? <laughs> Remember from like last week? You're like scrolling through, like, I can't believe they're at the Georgia game. It was posted like four years ago, right? It's like, it's like we, we do this to ourselves. Cutthroat competition, all-consuming, yet never satisfied once, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or to be loved. How much of our own pursuits prevent us from receiving what is being offered 
from other people and perhaps even God himself. Divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits. The vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. I can't believe those people would. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. Paul continues, again, this is the paraphrase from the message version. This isn't the first time I've warned you, you know. If you use your freedom in this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. What this does not mean is that if you use your freedom in this way, you will not go to heaven when you die. It's not what an inheritance is. An inheritance is what has been made available to you, right? Because of a death. And in this case, it's the death of Jesus and his subsequent resurrection. And what we have received is the Holy Spirit of God who is a guarantee of the promise that is to come. Then Paul continues on, and we're gonna talk about this in just a minute. The problem is when we read this list, the easiest thing for us to do, I wanna have so many colors up here. I should have just used one. Is we just make rules. And it doesn't matter if you're a country or a family. Your kids put their shoes in the living room, and you make a rule. No shoes in the living room. It's the easiest and fastest way to govern and to force goodness. It is instinct in us because this is what tends to rule us. It is the rule of law. Offer the rule of law. Don't hear me saying, I'm not talking, I'm not advocating anarchy, none of those things. I just want you to press, this is, this is our life, my life, your life, the way we live our lives. Uh, the book we handed out, Rick Schaefer's book, I've quoted from it every week, I'm gonna continue to do so, Companion Planted, you've seen this. It's written out of who we are as a church. He writes this, too many church, too often churches only counsel people to correct wrong thoughts or behaviors. This kind of training may be appropriate for the young. Right? You do have to make a rule that your kids can't run in the parking lot. That is a good rule. But it's not sufficient for 18-year-olds. If you're still having to tell your 18-year-old, don't run in the parking lot. Like you, you can't run in the parking lot. Something has kind of gone awry. If we only train people to correct their behaviors, but don't, trust, don't train them to trust God, we will eventually wear ourselves out and be disappointed. Is anybody there? I mean, maybe you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, trying so hard to be good, trying so hard to do what you ought, trying so hard not to disappoint. And what's interesting when Paul continues this, this section here, he picks up and this is what he says. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. This is Galatians chapter five, verse 13. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, but rather to serve one another humbly in love. So you're, you're gonna start seeing this idea. He says, 
We don't want to use all this freedom that we've been given, this, this, this ability to choose and to think and to dream and to contribute and to cooperate or to the, the dignity of choice. We don't want to use it to satisfy our flesh and these other pursuits, but rather we want to use it to love, to extend ourselves to other people. Uh, next week's question, I'm, I'm exploring this idea because I've been reading the Bible for a long time and I like law and I like rules and I like to be right. Like, I don't know if you are, but I, I, I would be a really good preacher if I could just stand up here and tell you all the things that you should do and boom. But Jesus makes so much about, and he emphasizing loving people so much. And if I'm honest, it kind of bothers me. So we're gonna talk about that next week. I don't know if it ever bothers you or not. Just do what you're supposed to do, right? And then Jesus says, no. Let me listen to what he says next. This is, this is Paul just echoing what Jesus said. For the entire law, for all of this is summed up in one command. And here it goes again. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, if you continue in this vein, this, this devolving, you will be destroyed by one another. So I say, here's the solution. Walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. There's gotta be something that governs or rules your will. You, we are to be governed by the Spirit and in doing so, we will not sort of fall prey to this way of thinking. And it's interesting, look what he says at the very end here. But if you were led by the Spirit, you are not what? Under the law. This is, people, this is where I have, when I, when I talk about the rule of God, I talk about the rule of his love, and this is precisely why. Because this is exactly what the message seems to be. There is a, there is a, a rule, a, an authority of God's love in and over our lives that will actually shape our will. We have to be in this place. And he says that we are to walk in the Spirit. If we walk in the Spirit, we will not gratify these other sort of ways of life. It's interesting, when last week I talked about that what I believe is happening, what I believe God wants to do is to return us to his original goodness. Remember that? Are you here? Return to original goodness. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The, all that we see, and he said, it is good. And he created human beings in his own image. And he says, oh, this is very good. He created this way of life and he said, this is very good. He wants to return all of us to the original good that he has intended. Do you know the source of life in the beginning? It was his wind, his breath, his spirit, and God fashioned the human and he spirited him infused him with his own breath, with his own spirit. The return to God's original goodness happens the same way. It is our lives sustained by his wind, by his breath, by his spirit. So Paul says, so I say, walk in the spirit and you will not live in this other way. You won't fall 
prey to it. That this kind of life that we are to live in dependency, in trust, in obedience, in sort of taking our cues from God's breath in us, it is very present tense. It is very active. It is very aware. You have to be paying attention. This is why, like Paul wrote this, right? The mind that is governed by the flesh. Sit up there. Is what? It just keeps going. It just keeps devolving. It doesn't, this, this is what people, people, when Jesus says, or when, when, when Paul writes what God said in the beginning, right? If you do these things, you'll surely die. And then you do it and you don't die. It doesn't mean that God lied. It's not an instant punitive thing. It is a trajectory of behavior. If you tell a lie to someone, right? Unless you're Ananias and Sapphira, right? I guess they died. But if you tell a lie to someone, the odds are you're not gonna die in that moment. But what happens to the relationship? What happens to your soul? What happens to the way you see the world? What happens? It's, it's the trajectory. This, this, is, this is why the law is always exacting justice and punishment. And the rule of love, God's intention operates way differently. It's another way to live. It's dependency on his breath, on a sustaining spiritual formation in our lives. The mind governed by flesh is death, but the mind that is governed or understands how to respond to the spirit is life and peace. This is not a hard decision, is it? So how does this work? Right, we talked about this idea of taking every thought captive. We talked about this stuff a, a, a couple months ago. So I've been thinking about this for, for a long time in a lot of different ways. But I don't know how many of you guys go to Chick-fil-A. Go to Chick-fil-A, order eight nugget meal. They bring your eight nugget meal and you walk back up there and say, may I have some Chick-fil-A sauce, please? Y'all like Chick-fil-A sauce? Some good stuff. And they hand you the Chick-fil-A sauce and you say, thank you. What do they say? They say, my pleasure. Now, I don't know the whole story, but Truett Cathy, I believe this was his kind of edict. Truett Cathy is the founder of Chick-fil-A. Um, and I think he heard it. He says, I want all of our employees to say, my pleasure. This is genius on so many fronts. But think about this. If you're an employee of Chick-fil-A and someone asks you for Chick-fil-A sauce, and you hand them Chick-fil-A sauce and they say, thank you. What do you have to do? What do you have to do? You're required by policy to do what? To say my pleasure. It's the law. So what that does in your heart is you have to do one of two things. You either have to lie because it ain't your pleasure. <laughs> or you have to get yourself in a situation where you're like, it is your pleasure to give this person Chick-fil-A sauce. And you got like seven seconds to get there. Do you see the problem? This is the problem. You can force yourself to do all kinds of things. Forced goodness is devoid of the work that needs to happen in our hearts. And the work that happens in our hearts is in, is inside of our souls where the Spirit, where the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is forming and shaping and drawing and calling us. I have this, this vision of original goodness where the Spirit is, the Spirit of God is brooding over the chaos. That's what it says in Genesis 1. It's brooding over the chaos. And, and in my mind, this is my word this year is imagination. So I just let my mind go. And I see God's Spirit brooding over the chaos and seeing beauty and potential and hope 
and all the things that will come to be. And perhaps when the Spirit broods over you in your own life, He sees things. There are things that are happening, that are identified, that are being called and created as you participate in response to God's Spirit in your life. I think the mistake that most people make is the goal that Truett Cathy had isn't simply for his employees to say my pleasure every time someone says thank you, right? That's not the goal. What was the goal? The goal is for them to actually be delighted to serve their customers. And if you only follow the law, right, you miss the whole thing. But my pleasure, I don't believe, is a command to follow, but it is an invitation to participate in the way Truett Cathy wants things to be. If you met Truett and you saw his pleasure that he had in serving people chicken nuggets, it would change you. Because you would want to bear his image in your life as someone who is contributing and cooperating and participating with him. So his edict is not a law at all. It's an invitation because he's going, oh, if you work with us, you want to be the kind of person from whom these things flow. And so it's in that moment when you have to say my pleasure, when these things are forced, it's where you have to depend on something and trust something and believe something and say, I gotta align myself with the image. I gotta, I gotta align myself with the image that I am representing and bearing in this moment. It is the exact same thing in your life. When you have to respond with love to another human being, you have to, be, you have to exhibit goodness to another human being. Paul says, walk in the Spirit. Draw life from the Spirit. The good life that God longs to bring to you is sustained by his breath the same way it was in the beginning. If we walk by the Spirit, we will simply not gratify the desires of the flesh. To live in submission to God is not a duty. It is our design. It is how you have been created to live. And so we are to return such that our wills, our wills are formed by the rule under which we live. This one will destroy you. It just will. But it all begins when you and I encounter the goodness of God. It isn't a command. It is an invitation to taste and to see that God is good. And out of his goodness is our hope to bear his image in the world around us. We must draw life, right, from the Spirit in the moment and let his life right flow through ours. Father, what an extraordinary gift that you have given us that we are able to both do this for one another and in a miraculous 
sort of way we receive this from one another. But it is only because we have first drawn life from you. Father, thank that your spirit, thank you that your spirit empowers us. Your spirit forms us. God, may we be sensitive to the whisper and the prompting and the drawing of your life in ours, of your spirit in ours, in the simplest and most ordinary of moments. That to delight ourselves, right, would not feel um, forced, but rather it would flow from who it is that we are becoming. So, Father, I thank you. I lift all these things to the name of your son, Jesus, who is our King. Amen.